All right, man, what a great uh, way to start our Sunday, to be reminded uh, in our worship and also in our, in our readings this morning of how much we are totally dependent upon the righteousness of Christ. I was thinking this morning as we were reading the Old Testament passage, uh, which I selected for today, came out of the Moravian readings this morning. I know it sounded depressing in the middle of it, but when you tie those two together, the message of the Old Testament is one of works. It's, of, it's, it's works based on faith, but man, uh, there were only a, a few, several thousand uh, of Israel that were actually saved, and the majority of Israel had turned against God, against God's prophets, were killing God's prophets, and Elijah was the only one left. And left to our own, that's who we are. Left to our own attempts to try to be good and righteous, that's where we end up. We end up killing God's prophets. We end up writing God off. That's the best we can do. And so in response to that, of course, was the passage out of, was it John this morning? What was it? Romans, yeah, out of Romans. This is by grace alone. It's what Christ did for us in dying for us. And it's his righteousness. And then we, you know, we're singing, my hope is built on what? Nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Our hope is built on his blood, on his righteousness, his sacrifice for our sins, and then his righteousness in replace, to replace our sinfulness. And so, <clears throat> man, I'm glad we get to, to communicate that again today because one of the things that we learned last week, and which, by the way, thank you so much for last week. It was a great day, great service. Uh, great two services, great whole day of events. Elders met in the afternoon, uh, went over our distinctives again, recommitted ourselves to those distinctives in two different locations. Um, we were able to ordain Will and, and Ben and then uh, also uh, Zach and Josh from Wardville. Just a great day. But I got to tell you what happened that day. Among many things that happened that day, God really made clear to us that this is our goal, what we just talked about, that, that we live in a community that, that still tries to mix this idea of salvation by grace, and then somehow our works are what make us or keep, keep us right with God. It's this weird mixture of grace and works that is not biblical, never has been. It's, it's trying to take the law of Moses and mix it in with the sacrifice of Christ, and they don't mix. It's, there's not a mixture of the two. One replaces the other. In the New Testament, when Christ died on the cross, his blood bought for us our salvation. He became the propitiation or the, the, the uh, one who paid for our sins and the replacement for us. He gave us his righteousness in replacement, uh, as a way of replacing our sins. And, and Scripture is so clear about that in the book of Romans and Galatians particularly about if you want to hold on to, to the works of the law, then God's, uh, Jesus' sacrifice is null and void to you. There is no mixture of the two. But we live in a community. And most of us grew up in churches and we, we have this remnant of trying to be right and good and impress God and impress people in the church in order to, in our own attempts to try and gain something from God. 
when the message of the gospel is it's already been done for you. So let that get in your heart and motivate you. Let that change the why of what you do. doesn't mean you don't do good works. It means you do them from your heart instead of just because you have pressure from the outside to conform to a list of rules or a list of do's and don'ts. And so we, we are coming back. To our text, our, our study in the Gospels today brings us to a, a very significant moment by God's design. Y'all with me this morning? Say, oh, yeah. All right, what we got to, got to do today is we've got to go back and talk about where the gathering place came from. We fell on this passage today, and what, what a great time for us, for God, to put us in this passage is on the heels of a service of us uniting together to remember what our distinctives are and who we are as, as one church in two locations in this town and as our mission, what our mission is. And for us to be united in that, that, that we would come today to Luke chapter 15, where we got our name, the gathering place. And this theme that we're talking about of Jesus being enough and Jesus accepting us and receiving us, not based on our righteousness at all, but based on what Christ did, becomes crystal clear in this passage. So let's read it together. We're only going to do a few verses today. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And then next week we'll, we'll continue on in this passage. So here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The title of the message today is Jesus Receives Sinners. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Now, we may not get past this verse today. But we need to spend some time thinking about this. Last night, I put out on Facebook this text and asked you to just think about the why of this one verse because when we think about the why of this verse, I think we're going to find out we're going to find ourselves. We're going to find our call. We're going to find what it is that God is motivating us to be and to do. We'll see it in our hearts. We'll see it on the page. We'll find the answer uh, to that question in Jesus. This is the verse that God used to give us our name, the gathering place, one version of this passage says that tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to hear what he had to say. That's where the gathering place name came from. Some of you didn't know that. Write that down. That's something to remember. Where did the name come from? It came from tax collectors and notorious sinners gathering around Jesus to hear what he had to say. Now why did we choose this passage as our passage, the passage that would define who we are and what we do with God in this community. A number of reasons. First of all, we see ourselves as more connected with tax collectors and sinners than with scribes and Pharisees. Can I get an amen? <laughs> we see ourselves as more connected with sinners than we, and tax collectors and sinners than we do with scribes and Pharisees that are described in this second verse. We've come to see our sins of spirituality as not only equally offensive to God, but in many ways more offensive. Our sins of trying to be good enough, our sins of, of trying to be spiritual enough, of trying to be a member of the right church or a member of the right denomination, our desire to try and impress ourselves and others and God with our goodness. We've, 
those sins of spirituality, we, we have found ourselves there. We're going to talk about that more next week, but, but we have found ourselves connected. We found our sin as being trying to be good. Not the side of the branch of the tree of life, or the tree of uh, uh, knowledge of good and evil, not the good side. We, I mean, the, the evil side. We find ourselves on the tree of, uh, of, of good, trying to make for ourselves something. Our church, we connect with this verse because we've come to see our sins of spirituality and realize that we live in a community that dwells in this sin of trying to be good, good enough, that lives on a treadmill of of good works, of trying to be something, do something. We live in a community that's it's so, it's so much a part of who this community is that, that it's, it seems almost impossible at times that we would ever detox from that. But Jesus had tax collectors and sinners, notorious sinners, gathering around him. We connect with that because we have now seen ourselves. We see ourselves as those tax collectors and sinners, not because we're so pagan in our flesh, but because we're so pagan in our spirituality. Does everybody get that? C.S. Lewis said this. Love this statement. Read it this week. If anyone thinks that Christians regard unchastity as the supreme vice, he is quite wrong. The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are at least bad. They are the least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting and the pleasures of power or hatred. For there are two things inside me competing uh, with the human self of which I must try to become. They are the animal self and the diabolical self. The diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But, of course, it's better to be neither. I love C.S. Lewis. love the way he puts things. But this is probably one of the most profound statements about the condition of the church in central Louisiana. This is where we were and where we are if we let ourselves continue in this, in this walk of trying to be the good people instead of being sinners who have been radically transformed by the grace of God, but we are sinners. And so we, we find ourselves connected to this verse because we finally come to see ourselves as sinners of the worst kind, literally the chief of sinners that Paul describes, as Paul describes himself in Scripture. And we rejoice in the fact that sinners are allowed to gather around Jesus. So the statement that the spiritual sinners intended as an indictment on Jesus becomes our song of praise, right? He, he receives and eats with sinners. It, it was meant as an indictment from the Pharisees who were looking on and saying, look at him. He's, he's mixing with the wrong people. And there were a lot of people behind him saying, yeah, man. Something needs to change about this. And all the sinners are saying, yeah, man. And they're writing songs to proclaim it. And their, their, their hearts are filled with joy because of it. And we find ourselves there. And if you don't find yourself there today, my prayer is that you will. This man receives, verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Let's find ourselves there. Y'all will go with that and say, oh, yeah. Man, what a blessing that we, 
have a Savior who receives us as we are and eats with us, dines with us. Second reason we choose to name our church in connection with this verse is that we find our mission here. That is joining God to reach sinners, right? We find our mission here. Here's the questions that I think naturally come out of this. What was it about Jesus, first of all, that drew sinners? If tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus, what was it about Jesus that drew sinners? And then the second question is, why were they interested in what he had to say? I think the answer to both of these questions is the same. First of all, they were drawn to Jesus because of the grace that was revealed in his unconditional love and acceptance of every sinner. Think about it with me. Y'all with me? Stay with me on this. The woman that we talked about who was caught in the act of adultery. She was defended by Jesus. Why wouldn't a sinner gather around Jesus when they, the word gets around that a woman who was actually caught in the act of adultery, dragged to Jesus to be stoned to death, was not only defended but forgiven, and her life was spared? I'll tell you why sinners gather around Jesus. They heard about her. They heard about the tax collectors, Zacchaeus and Matthew who are the most notorious of sinners. They're the ones described here. Usually when the scripture says notorious sinners, which another translation says tax collectors and notorious sinners, but you see tax collectors, are brought out as the chief of sinners. I'm sure the story got around. It had to get around because guess who's walking with Jesus now? Matthew, the tax collector, who was found at his tax collecting booth. He didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him. We talked the other day about how Jesus was walking by and he sees Matthew and he goes to him at his tax collector's booth. Word got out. There's a a tax collector who's one of his disciples. And and the the religious folks are going like, there's a tax collector that's one of his disciples. And the sinners were going, there's a tax collector that's one of his disciples. Man, you receive it two different ways, but... Sinners understood that, man. They're gathering around Jesus. Why? They heard about Zacchaeus and Matthew. They heard about the woman at the well who had five husbands, and the one she was living with now was not her husband, who immediately becomes a reaper, goes into town and brings back a horde of people who want to know more about this man who told her everything that she'd ever done and forgiven her. And it says that that whole town asked him to stay. He stayed two days, and he shared with them the truth of the gospel. And all those people believed, not because of her anymore, the Bible says, but because they they heard it themselves. A, 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 A notorious sinner gathered at a well in the middle of the day. Jesus made her into an evangelist. That's why tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus because the Gentiles, who were also considered to be sinners, all of them, who, who God made a place on the outside of the temple, the court of the Gentiles, for them to come and worship, that when Jesus walks into that area of the temple and he finds religious people, spiritual giants, if you will, selling doves and changing money and selling animals for sacrifice in order to make a profit, in the court of the Gentiles that Jesus turns over their tables. Gentiles are saying, come on, this guy's who we've been looking for. And the Pharisees are saying, what, 
They're angry. Two different worlds. Tax collectors and notorious sinners were gathering around him. The man born blind that we've been talking about, rejected by the church, had his sight restored. But not only that, he had his life redefined. The demon, even demon-possessed people, one possessed by a legion of demons, was set free. And God gave his mind back. The rumor got out that Jesus received sinners. And so they gathered around him. In church, not only do we find ourselves as sinners, but we find ourselves as a, as a church who wants to lead people to see him as one that receives sinners. We don't want to be that church that condemns, that judges, that looks down on people, that, that tries to lift ourselves up and make something of ourselves and have to look down on others in order to do that. We don't want to be those self-righteous prigs that, that C.S. Lewis is talking about. We want to be a people who are leading people to know God. They were interested in what Jesus had to say because his grace revealed in an unconditional acceptance of love for them. Our unconditional acceptance and love for them. Not only, not only did they draw near to Jesus for that reason, but they wanted to hear what he had to say because of who he was. Once they discovered that he, was, he loved them, that he was after them, they saw the, the, all these instances of, that revealed the truth about who he was. They experienced Jesus in their own lives, seeing him love sinners. Not only were they drawn to him, but they were drawn to hear him. And therein lies, I believe, the work of the church. We need to gain a reputation as a church who receives sinners. Y'all believe that? Say, oh yeah. We need to gain a reputation in this town as a church that receives sinners. Churches in our town don't have that type of reputation. Sinners are not gathered around churches in central Louisiana to hear what we have to say. We're not really interested as churches in central Louisiana in doing what's necessary to make the changes, to be like Jesus. We'd rather spend our time gathering people from other churches into ours and calling that a move of God. And even the Pharisees were better than that. They only had one church. people who have come to the understanding that we are sinners of the worst kind. And as people who have experienced the grace of Jesus revealed in his unconditional acceptance and love toward us, we, we are motivated at the gathering place to reveal him to a community of sinners that we live in. And so at the gathering place, we connect with this passage, first of all, because of our connection with sinners of the worst kind. Secondly, because we want sinners in our community to know the truth about Jesus, to get their questions answered. And one final reason we connect with this verse is because of what they gathered to do. They gathered to hear him. We've heard so much that has Jesus' name attached to it. And we've all found ourselves connected to religious traditions and beliefs that did not come from Jesus. But they were ideas of philosophy, ideas that we had, 
philosophies that we've held to, religious beliefs that we've connected with. And they were more of what Paul describes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, where he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and and, uh, careful teaching. Because, verse 3, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We live in that day. Where churches, this is not people, I'm not talking about secular people, I'm talking about spiritual people. And all of you know that you are them, have been them, are trying not to be them, but they they make up the majority, I believe, of what, of our community. People who have, who have chosen to take partial truths. A myth is, usually begins with truth, a half-truth, and make for themselves a religion that sounds good, that works for them, it lifts them up, it makes them look good. It's all about us, and it has been. And we build this up, and it, and it sounds good, and we have all different forms of it, and, and it doesn't draw us together because we're not... We're not seeking the Holy Spirit. We're not seeking to be like Christ. Otherwise, we would begin to be drawn together, not drawn apart. And we take the semantics of Scripture, and, and we do what Paul warned us against. We, we argue over disputable matters, which only divide us. And we've done it over and over and over again. And this community is filled with people like we were. But at TGP, we've come to discover that abiding in Christ is where true knowledge about God comes from. It's abiding in Christ. It's, it's obeying His commands. It's, it's hearing His voice. It's doing what He says. It's allowing Him to reveal Himself to us as He promised He would in John 14, 21. He would reveal Himself to us as we obey His commands. Look at it, John 15, 14, verses 15 to 21. Here's the abiding cycle encapsulated in a small portion of what Jesus said to the disciples in his last hours with them, a final teaching about abiding. Here's what he says. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Who? Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you in the form of Jesus And he will be in you in the form of whom? The Holy Spirit. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I, being I in the form of the Holy Spirit, will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Holy Spirit. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. At the gathering place, we know where true knowledge comes from. It comes from what Jesus describes in this passage. It comes from us obeying his commandments. It comes from us inquiring 
of him, what his will is for every situation in life. Not in a way that keeps us standing still. I don't sit and ask God what socks I should wear this morning or what meal I should eat for lunch. Sometimes I ask him about my meals. But you get what I'm saying. God wants to be involved in the moment-by-moment decisions that we make. And his Holy Spirit lives in us for that purpose, to lead us to be obedient to Christ. Why? Ultimately, for the bold print that we would be loved by God in the way that he manifests himself to us. And he reveals himself to us. We know where true knowledge comes from. We're all about abiding in Christ at this church. We encourage all of you to sit at the feet of Jesus to receive his guidance for your life. Use the faith that he gives you to obey his leading. Ask the Spirit to help you to, once he, obey, once he shows you and you obey, to wait on his activity in your life and not be impatient with God. Ask the Spirit to help you to see his activity. And most importantly, ask the Spirit to reveal the person behind the activity. You know, Jesus, it's a beautiful thing that Jesus bought our, our salvation for us, that he sacrificed himself and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and continues to give us his righteousness. It's a beautiful thing, but you know what's more beautiful than the actual event is the person behind the event. How will he who gave his life for us, not also freely with him, give us all things? He is a giver of good things. Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to the full. There's abundant life that comes with Christ. And this was the effect that Jesus had on sinners in his day. And this is the effect that he's had on us at the gathering place in our churches. We want to know him and we want to lead others to know him. That is our mission. And we do that through abiding Now, next in our text for today, Jesus goes on further to explain himself. The three parables that we're going to cover next week, we're not going to do it today, but we need to draw some conclusions from what we've heard today. And we need to ask ourselves some questions at the gathering place about our present condition whenever we hold it up against these standards or these things that God has given us in these two verses, really one verse, this, this huge verse for us that defines who we are. We need to ask ourselves some questions today and hold ourselves up against this, this passage. It, because the church is not the gathering of people in this room. It is you. Everybody with me? The church is you. You need to ask these questions about yourself. So what do we need to ask? First, are we responding to the character of Jesus that we're discovering? Are we responding to him? Are we really sinners gathered? Are we sinners gathered, responding to what we're discovering about Jesus? The religious folks grumbled. What happens with you? Are you, are you discovering God and are you being changed by what you're discovering? Who you're discovering? Are we responding to the character of Jesus that we discover? Are we just still going, going through the motions of coming and hearing information about Jesus and then going into our life the rest of the week and not responding to what we've discovered? 
Are, are we being obedient to seek God out in our daily lives and encountering him in our daily lives? And then when he shows himself to us, does that not have a cyclic effect? Does it not cycle us back into a deeper love for Christ and a stronger faith in God? And a, and a willingness to obey in the next command that he gives. Secondly, are we spreading the truth about Jesus to the world around us? I'm, I'm glad we sang this song this morning. It's a good song. But are we doing that? Are you doing that? Are you living like Jesus? And enjoying the abundant life that he gives. Are you living like he loves you? Are you living like Jesus cares about you? Are you, are you living your life in, in times of trial and, and problems and struggles in a way that reveals to the people that are watching you that Jesus loves you? Are, are, you, are you gathering at Jesus' feet and finding out who he is? Is he moving in your life and the response is that you are showing other people a resolved heart and a peaceful heart and a, a heart that's content with God? Or does every circumstance that comes up in your life cause you to go crazy? There's no solution to that. No, feeling guilty is not what we're trying to draw out of you this morning. Get to know God in such a way that, it, that He changes the way you handle life. We're spreading the truth about Jesus by living like Jesus loves us and enjoying the abundant life that he gives and then also by loving sinners like he did. Are you blessing anybody? Are you praying for them? Listening to them? Eating with them? Serving them? Sharing the gospel as God gives you the opportunity? Are you doing that with anybody right now? If I ask you, I'm asking you that right now. Do, do multiple people come to your mind and are you being intentional in blessing them? I'm not saying winning them. I'm saying blessing them. God's the one that wins. We bless. It's what God told us to do. Are you doing that? Loving sinners and telling them about him. Spreading the truth about Jesus to the world around us. That's who we are as a gathering place. Sinners gathered around Jesus waiting to hear what he has to say. And then are we leading people to do that? To find Jesus as the one to listen to. To have their own discoveries of truth by hearing it from God. Hearing the God's commands and obeying what he says. Listening to his voice. Helping people to understand how that sounds. And what it sounds like for you when God speaks. Or are we trying to be God's voice to them? And leading them to consequently depend on us instead of on him. You wonder why at the gathering place when you come to ask the pastor for advice that he sends you back to Jesus. Now you know it's who we are. I'll pray with you. If God gives me a word for you, I'll tell you. But you know what? We need to be the people in this town that lead people to go to Jesus. To sit around him, to gather at his feet. He's the one that's wonderful. It's not me. I'm just equally enamored with you. I'll go sit with you at the feet of Jesus. Let's do that. Let's gather around him to hear what he has to say. That's who the gathering place is. And we want to lead other people to do the same thing. Listen, church, I'm going to close with this. I believe with everything that's in my heart, and God's been confirming it this week. I'll share more about it next week. But I believe there's a movement waiting on the people who will gather around Jesus 
to hear what he has to say. I believe there's a movement, a great movement of God. Maybe the last great move of God. That's waiting on people, believers, who will sit at Jesus' feet, who will gather around him to hear what he has to say. I believe God wants to use the gathering place churches to draw the world to himself, our little portion of the world, which may be ever-expanding, right, as God sends out missionaries and some of you to go in different locations. I believe this model that God has breathed into existence and that he maintains by his spirit, I think it holds the potential to bring about awakening. If I didn't believe it, I wouldn't be a part of it. But I hope that you can find in your heart the Holy Spirit saying the same thing to you and making you passionate about this. And in the midst of it, you're going to find opposition. Get ready. We live in a community that will be mostly opposed to us being this simple about our faith. Jesus was in the same community. We'll talk about his opposition next week. But the people that are opposing us desperately need to realize they're sinners and come to the foot of Jesus and hear what he has to say. They need to see who he is like we have seen who he is. They need to come to him. Last week I thought it was, I know it was providential that God brought to my mind and heart the passage out of Genesis that Abram had to leave the land that he was familiar with and his own kindred his all, all of his possessions, take what he could, but leave his family and his kindred and his location behind in order to go to a place that God would show him moment by moment, day by day. And that that defines what God is doing here. That's who we are. So let's ask ourselves a question this morning. Let's respond to the Lord's prompting today. And let's become what God has called us to be. It only happens when you do it. You can't wait for everybody else. And you can't depend on everybody else. This is you and God moving in your life. If God brought you here to be a part of this congregation, then his call is this. What we just said. It's to gather around Jesus. Sinners. Notorious sinners. The chiefs of sinners. Realizing that's who we are and and gathering at the feet of Jesus to hear what he has to say. Gathering place. It's a beautiful vision that God's given us. That's who we are. I hope you find yourself in that this morning. So let's pray. Let's deal with this. Don't leave it here. Let's make this moment of prayer a sincere response to what God has said this morning. Lord, it's been sweet to revisit who we are at the gathering place. We're only this because you said this is who we are. Thank you, God, for waking us up to the reality that we were self-righteous prigs who went to church regularly but were far nearer to hell than those who were sinning sins of the flesh. Thank you for helping us to come to that realization and find ourselves in this passage is the worst of sinners. But God, thank you so much for showing us who you are and drawing us by your person and the characteristics of, that you revealed, your glory, your name, drawing us near to you and giving us faith to trust what we hear from you. 
let that not get old for us, God. Help it to be so real for us that our lives are transformed by it. I pray anyone here today that's holding on to some sin and saying, no, I'd rather do this, would recognize how good you are and would release sin and embrace you. Father, we release today our sin to embrace you. You are so good. Help us to live like you love us. Help us to experience your love as you try to love us by obeying what you say and allowing you to reveal yourself to us. Help us to love sinners and tell them about you, to bless them, give us people, put them on our hearts and minds, keep them on our hearts and minds. Satan will try to rob us of that and rob this community of the awakening that you have in store. Father, help us to be, not to be the voice, but to lead people to the speaking voice, to the message that they need to hear by leading them to you, helping them to abide in you, to come to know you. God, help us with that. This is our call. We receive it. We embrace it. We renew our commitment to it today. In Jesus' name.